Hello, everybody. Glad you've chosen to join with us at FX Church and uh, to, to get into God's Word together. Foot of the Cross, we continue to want to help people grow in their knowledge of, of who God is. And we're in the midst of our series through the book of 1 John. We typically preach through uh, or talk through the entire Scripture. We don't jump around. We really want people to understand what God's writing and how he wrote through the author that he asked to write. And so right now we're in the book of 1 John, which is in the New Testament. And uh, the title of the series is called So That. And as we've talked about in this series in 1 John called So That, you know, we seem to be, you know, that we're living in a time of uncertainty as if there's limited trustworthy information. Few people seem to be truly seeking God and his word for the answers, but instead seek everywhere else. The church is kind of a mess right now in, in a lot of ways, and, and we really don't know who or what to believe sometimes. That's the same context that God had John, the Apostle John, one of Jesus' disciples, write this letter. You see, God gave John this letter so that we can know God's truths, show love for God's commands, and grow in God's love, so that, he says, our joy may be complete that we may have complete joy. And so we've looked, and if you turn to 1 John 1, it says, what was from the beginning? You see, we have to go all the way back. If you don't go all the way back to the beginning, then and you stop at some point, there's a lot of things you miss. And so God gave us the whole story, the whole picture, so that we can understand that what was from the beginning and how we got to where we are. And then in verse 3, in 1 John 1, 3, it says, what we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship. That's, that's a, a unifying relationship. Get along and do what we're supposed to do. He says fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship, our ability to have a relationship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing things, these things so that our joy may be complete. So John says, I'm writing these things so that the joy that you're looking for might be complete. And then in 2.1, we looked at the following week. That was the first week. The second week, we looked at so that you may not sin. That if, if we continue to, to not do what God asks us to do, we're going to go more and more down a dark hole to the place that we don't find joy, not lasting joy. And then in 2.19, it says, so that it might be made clear that God wants to make himself clear to us. He wants to make what was from the beginning, what where we're at now and what's coming clear, which is why this letter was written, why the why the scriptures were written. And then in 3:5 last week, we looked at this that where he says that so that Jesus might take away our sin. And so he says, you know, there's a joy problem, there's a sin problem, there's a clarity problem. And then last week John says and, and the point of Jesus was that he, so he would come to begin to show us and rescue us from, from our, our mess that we're in. And so this week, what I want us to look at and what the scripture says in 1 John 1 is that we might live through him. We might live through him so that we might live through him. Let me ask you, what are you living through right now? Let me ask that again. What are you living through right now? You know, some people may be in some terrible circumstances through this pandemic that we're in. 
They find themselves in abusive homes. They find themselves in no work. They, they find themselves living through things they never thought they would have to live through. And, and then other people find themselves living through other things. They're living through social media. They're living through their kids. They, they find life in something that they can live through right now. And First John's writing and saying the, the whole point of, of what I'm telling you, the whole point of the message of God is that he wants us to see that there isn't life if we don't live it through him. If there's anything that we're living through that isn't in him, it's going to not lead to our joy. It's going to lead to more sin problems, more mess in our world. And so what are you living through right now? Can I just tell you, Jesus says he wants you to live through him. He wants you to see that it's worth living through what you're living through if it's for him, if it's for his glory, if it's for loving him and loving others. I don't want you to stay in terrible circumstances. I don't think Jesus wants us to to stay in terrible circumstances just so we can earn his love. That's not what scripture says. But sometimes we find ourselves in terrible circumstances so that Jesus can be put on display and that he might be seen by how we're living through him. In 1 John 1, 3, where we're going to pick up this week, verse 23, it says, Now this is his command, that's Jesus' command, God's command, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him, and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. You know, this is loaded. We've talked about this before, but but the name is loaded here. When he says his son, he's saying that that name, his son, Jesus Christ, is communicating that, that this is Yahweh who saves. Yahweh is the name of God from the Old Testament that God gave himself to Abraham. Said, this is how I'm to be known. It's Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah who is God's Son. This this lays out right in this verse the entire Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he says that the way we know that we remain in Him is if we remain in what He says to do. And this is true in any relationship. If you don't listen to what someone says and don't do what they say, you know there's going to be a problem in the relationship. Sometimes there needs to be a problem in the relationship. Sometimes that person isn't doing what's caring and loving and needs to be confronted But oftentimes, it's our own selfishness and not remaining in what we know to be true in God that causes our conflict. And you know, all the commands are in the Old Testament are all about loving God and loving people. Every command, every command. There are over 600 commands in the Old Testament, and all of them are from a heart of love. And we're going to see that as we walk through this passage today. Even Jesus himself in Matthew 22, 36 which is called the great commandment, said, Teacher, which, is the, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus went on to say, All the law and the prophets, all those 600 commands depend on these two commands. Love God love people, that everything God has ever asked or revealed about himself or ever done, he did in love. It means he is love, which we'll see. You know, the commands don't save us. Doing the commands don't make us right with God. 
We can never do enough of the commands to outweigh the ones we've broken. That's why Jesus had to come. But when we come to know him, there should be a desire to want to remain as close to him as possible, to follow him, to do what he asks us to do, because we understand what real love is now. We understand that what Jesus did was so loving that it overwhelms us, and we want other people to know that love. And sometimes that means we have to say things that are hard. Sometimes it means we don't say things that are hard, but we wait patiently until we do say those hard things. Sometimes we say great, loving, just encouraging things. But, but, but we have to be sure that we're remaining in Him so that we might live through Him. If He's not remaining in us, then we can't live through Him. Matthew five seventeen, Jesus said this, He said, don't assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For I assure you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass from the law. That's the scriptures, the Bible, until all these things are accomplished. You see, Jesus came to fulfill all the requirements of the law, the requirements of sin that that we did. You know, you've probably told a lie before. Who's going to pay for that lie? Who's going to pay the penalty for the lie? You can't just work it off. Like there's a penalty to be paid. Well, the reason Jesus came was he said, I'll take your penalty. And then he asks us to be people that tell others that they need their penalty taken by Jesus, that they can't get a deal with him and work off enough sins so that then they can just do what they want to do. And he says that he came to fulfill all the requirements of the law, not abolish them. You know, some of those requirements Jesus already fulfilled in the Old Testament. It's like why we don't sacrifice lambs today, because Jesus was the final sacrifice, the final sacrificial lamb. All the sacrifices of the Old Testament, the animal sacrifices, pointed to him. And when he was finally sacrificed, for us to go back and sacrifice a lamb instead of understanding that my sin gets put on Christ would be a travesty to him. Versus saying, man, I sinned. Jesus, I come back to you. I I come back to your sacrifice that's better than the temporary sacrifice. But there are some things that are currently being fulfilled. Like God said he would pour out his spirit. He's currently doing that. But, But then there are things that we're still waiting that aren't fully fulfilled yet. And that's what Jesus means when he says, don't assume that I came to destroy the law and the prophets, but I came to fulfill them. I came to help you fulfill them And ultimately, they're not going to be fully fulfilled until I finally come back in his second coming, Jesus says, to make things right. In 1 John 3, 23, we jump back on that passage that we just looked at. And it's the first question we have to ask is, what does it mean to remain in him? And really, that leads to the question of what is God's will? You know, That's the question I hear most often from people. I just want to know what God's will is. To be honest with you, I've learned being in ministry that that a lot of times that's not the real question we're asking. You see, we're usually asking a question of what must I do to get God to do what I want him to do, to fix this problem, to heal me, to, to give me money, to make this work out the way I want versus what is God's will? And I'll do it, and however it plays out, I'll be okay with it. 
because I know he loves me, because I know he is righteous, because I know who he is. See, that's God's will. And what's amazing to me is so often when people will come to me and say, I just want to know God's will. And then I start to ask them about simple things, like how they spend their money, how they spend their time, the relationships they have. Do you believe Jesus is the only way to be saved? When I ask those questions, so often it becomes evident that they don't really want to know God's will. They just want God to be okay with their will. Because if we really wanted to know God's will, let's just be honest, we would know the book. We'd know the Bible because it is the word of God that tells us what his will has been, what it currently is, and what it will be forever. What has been fulfilled, what's currently being fulfilled, and what will be fulfilled, we would understand that without it, we don't know how to live properly through him. And then we start living for other things. And so that's really, when you look at this question of how do we remain, you have to check in with his word. So often I hear people say, why, I just feel like God is leading me. And then they justify what happens later because they say, see, it worked. So it must have been God's will. Listen, it might not have been God's will. Did you check into his word? Did you, did you ask other believers? Just because something worked out the way you wanted doesn't mean it was God's will. It just means it worked out the way you wanted. And we need to check and ask God and check our feelings and say, God, this is how I'm feeling, but is this really what you want? And we need to be willing to wait and kind of wrestle with that until we have clarity. And we need to have other people praying for us that are believers that claim to know the Son of God and who He is as we wait for that. And anytime we're not living like that, my guess is we're probably not living through him. We're trying to get him to live through us or something that we want him to live through. And by and large, to be honest, in the church, we've not taught the idea that a relationship with Jesus that brings the grace, grace is an unmerited favor we don't deserve. That when when God has his grace on us, when he pours out and loves us and pours his love into our hearts, and gives us his spirit that it says here, it's from the spirit that that comes into our lives when we come to the moment of salvation. That should lead us to gratitude. And gratitude in a relationship almost always leads to obedience, to wanting to serve the other person, to wanting to know what they want and trying to please them. And, you know, we've taught that grace, we often teach that and we shouldn't have, that grace gives us permission to do what we want and still expect to receive from God. And then we're shocked when we don't receive it. We're shocked when when God says no. You see, we don't receive because God says no and wait sometimes. And specifically, if you read his word, you can see that he does that all the time. We're waiting till Jesus comes back. If if you want heaven right now, you're going to have to wait till he decides. And it's easy for us to think about that. But then when it comes to, well, I want a new car or I want new shoes or I want new this, why? I'm just going to go out and get it. I'm not going to ask God's opinion because I have grace and, and I can do what I want and he'll be okay with it versus saying, God, what do you want? Is this something you want me to wait for, for you to provide? Or is it something that you've already provided for it? And you've told me, yes, I can do. And either way, whatever decision we make, he wants us to see that we have his grace if we know him, we have his love, but our response to that should be one in where we really want to remain and do what he wants us to do. In 1 John 4, 1, it says, dear friends, John writes. So he calls them friends, not dear 
you know, servants of me or of God. He says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to to determine if they are from God. Because many, you hear this? Many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the Spirit of God. So if you want to know God's will, it's got to come from God's Spirit leading us to God's Word. And he says, this is how you know if it's the Spirit of God or not. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And remember what that means. Confesses that Jesus is the Yahweh who saves of the Old Testament, who is the Messiah that was promised from the entire Old Testament, and the Messiah that's promised to come again, okay, has come in the flesh. He really came to earth. He, he fulfilled the requirements, and he was from Yahweh, the, the Old Testament God. And then he says, but every spirit who does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. You have heard that he is coming, and he is already in the world now. You know, there's a lot of discussion over end times and Antichrist. The Bible says there, there will be many Antichrists. All an Antichrist is someone who doesn't do what Christ wants them to do. That, that's all it is. To be Antichrist means to be not for him. It means to decide to live the way you want to live, not the way he asks you to live. That's all it means to be Antichrist. Now, the spirit of the Antichrist is someone who decides, you know what? I want nothing to do with Jesus. I'm gonna, I, want, I want no part of him or someone who uses parts of Jesus for their own benefit. So how do we test the Spirit? Because he says, test, and don't just believe what people say. Believe some preacher. Don't just believe me if you're listening to this. Man, I encourage you, go back and check the Scriptures. Go back and read. Go back and look and dig in. Don't just trust me. Look at what God says. And he says, don't believe every spirit. So how do we test it? First, we have to understand that the Spirit helps us to live through Him. We have to understand the purpose of the Holy Spirit. In Ezekiel 36, 26, Ezekiel prophesied that there would come a day when he would give us a new heart and put a new spirit within you. He said, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, he would soften our hearts so that we might be able to have a heartbeat that would now live for our God instead of a dead heartbeat that doesn't have the heartbeat of God. That's what Ezekiel was writing. And listen, right now, What's so cool is right now is the time when we celebrate that happening. Jesus died at Passover. He came back to life in his resurrection. And then the people counted the Omar, which was the, 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 the feast of Shavat in the Old Testament. They were counting the days until the word of God, the Torah was given on Mount Sinai. From the days that they were released from Egypt till the word was given, and then the disciples were told to wait until the Spirit came on Pentecost or on Shavat so that they could be filled and ready to know God's word and go out and tell people about it. You see, Jesus looked at them, and even before that, he breathed his Spirit on them. But he asked them to wait. He was trying to get people to see that there was going to become this moment when everything came together, when this new heart and all of it was there, and it was going to give you the power now to live for him, to tell others about him. That's exactly that. This is the time of year that God set aside thousands of years ago for, re, for us to remember this. And isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit that we are celebrating, getting ready to celebrate, that's coming for the Feast of Shabbat and Pentecost, 
is called the spirit of truth. In other words, the spirit of the word. Why? Because it was the Holy Spirit that brought the Torah, the Old Testament law, the Bible, to God's people in the Old Testament. And it was the Holy Spirit that would watch over it and keep it. It's why the the Torah, the Ten Commandments, were put into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies. And then there was a covering, which we'll look at in a minute, that covered it. So the Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. And John, not 1 John, but John's Gospel, he writes this in 1415. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of Truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains, there's that word again, with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. And that's what it means. He comes to us on Shabbat and then he says, I'm going to really come fully someday. I'm going to bring you to where I am so that you can fully know the truth. But right now, you have enough to walk with me, to live through me in the power of the Holy Spirit with the Word of God through a relationship that I've provided through my death, resurrection, and the sending of my Spirit to you. In John 15, 26, Jesus says this, when the counselor comes, so now he's called a truth counselor, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. See, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. This was the church of Jesus' day, and he's looking at them and saying, you know this, these people that you've grown up with, this church that you know, these people that call themselves believers in, in God, they are going to be the ones that ban you from being able to, to attend a synagogue, and they're going to think that killing you is actually the right thing to do before God. And that's exactly what they did to Jesus. They banned him from the temple, and they knew he would come back unless they killed him, so they killed him to keep him from coming back. That's literally, and he says, the spirit of truth is going to lead you. And it's not about anything else. It's not living through the synagogue. It's not living through the other things. It's about living through this new relationship, through the power of the Holy Spirit, his word and the sacrifice Jesus made. In John 16, 13, it says, when the spirit of truth comes, so he reveals the truth. So when we ask, what is God's will? How do we live through Jesus? Well, do you know the truth? Do you go to the Bible and ask the Holy Spirit to show you who He is and who God is? And I did a devotional last week. You can look that up to teach you how to do that well, how to read through the Bible and find God's heart. But He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own. He will speak whatever He hears. In other words, He's only going to speak the Word. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from me what is mine and declare it to you. And then he goes on and he says, everything the father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. Jesus says he's the spirit of truth, that if you're going to live through him, you have to walk in the spirit and you have to walk in the truth and you have to walk in the grace provided by Jesus. That's nothing that we can do. We didn't write the Bible. 
We can't make the Holy Spirit come into us. We can't make Jesus do what we want him to do. We can't earn a relationship with God. That's all God doing it on our behalf. And that's why in Matthew 7, 19, Jesus said this, every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, it's got to be used for something and it's good for firewood. Verse 20, he says, so you'll recognize them. That's what we're talking about here, the false spirit, the false prophets. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy, false prophets, in your name? And and prophesy doesn't mean future telling. It means saying that this is what the word of God says. It's saying that, that this is God's word. There are going to be people who twist his word that didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name. Then Jesus said, I will announce to them, I never knew you depart from me. You lawbreakers, you lawbreakers. See, Jesus is saying, look, we have to, we have to deal with breaking the law. There are consequences to breaking the law. And you have to embrace those consequences. And that's what Jesus did for us. He knew when he created us from the beginning that mankind was going to sin. And he agreed with the Father and the Spirit. The Trinity agreed that this was the plan and we're going to give them the ability to choose and they're going to not choose. And then the plan was set in motion and Jesus said, I'm in. I'll pay the penalty for those lawbreakers. But he says there's an action on our part. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You just can't like get Jesus for fire insurance. You have to truly live through him. You have to see that that I have to die to myself and I have to give my life to him. And if you do that, Jesus promises that he will come into you, that he will never leave you or forsake you, and that he will take you on a journey of living through, having you live through him, that'll be amazing, but it's going to push back against the world. And so we have to look at the spirits and we have to look at the fruit. Let me ask you, what fruit do you want to bear? You know, a lot of people say, well, I want to be popular and I want to have lots of friends and I want to have money and I want to be comfortable and I want a house. And what about the fruit that God says to bear that we're going to look at in a minute? And when you're listening to people and you're trying to determine God's will and determine which spirit you're listening to and the false spirits versus the right ones, what fruit are they promising? You see, our, our Bible, our God promises the fruit of heaven, a relationship with him. He promises us things, but, but there are things that he doesn't promise. There are going to be times when we go hungry. There are going to be times when, when, when we get sick and there's going to be a time when we don't make it. We're going to die because of the curse of our world and the curse of sin. And if you've got someone that's promising you everything, you've you got to be very careful to read God's promises and to make sure that they're the promises that he's promising you, not an Old Testament promise to Israel, not a promise to someone else, but, but truly it's what his word throughout the whole thing says is a promise. False teachings and false promise. Prophets always promise things that only God can deliver. And they almost always tell you that if, if you do the right thing, if you remain in him, if you're obedient, then you can claim promises from God. You can make God move. Listen, you can't. Now, does God want us to bring our needs 
before him? Does he want us to ask him and to say, God, we need you. This is where we're at. I don't know how we're going to. Absolutely. But he also wants us to trust him, to believe that, that this life isn't all there is. And if he says no to it in this life, that there's a good reason for it because he loves us. See, that's not what you'll hear from a false prophet. A false prophet wants to tell you what you want to hear so he can get you to do what he wants you to do so that you'll live through him instead of living through what God says and through what his body of believers say. We read on in 1 John 4, it says, you are from God, little children. So so John lays out this hard teaching and and he says, man, you know, you might be thinking right now, I mean, I'm not remaining in him. Am I saved? Am I not? And I love that the next thing John says is he says, you are from God. In other words, if you've trusted Jesus, if you've asked him to come in, he says, you are, you're a little child, but God doesn't want us to stay children. He wants us to grow into mature adults, into mature believers who, who live our lives through him instead of always needing other things to live our lives through. And then he says, and you have conquered them. You've conquered these false spirits because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world and the world listens to them. You see, we don't have to live in fear. We can know that if we know Jesus, if we've surrendered our life to Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah, and we have trusted him, that we are his children. God makes that declaration, not you or I. You can't make somebody adopt you. But when somebody looks and says, I want to adopt you, and, and you say yes, that's it. You're a part of the family. And, and, and even if we do sin, even if we're not living through him and we mess up, that's the beauty of what John wrote in 1 John 1, 9 that says if, we're, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to cleanse the child that gets dirty because we love our kids and we don't want them to be filthy. And you know, the story of the prodigal son is a great example of this, that the prodigal son steals the father's inheritance and goes away. And then he recognizes, oh, my dad is so loving. I thought it was so hard to live by my dad's rules. I thought he was such a terrible person and I couldn't stand it. But man, now that I'm out in the world and I realize that the world has more rules and they're not loving, they're just rules that are selfish, that, that, that you either live through me or I'll kill you rules. I don't want that. I don't want that life. And so the prodigal son, when we read the story in in the New Testament, comes back and he says, Father, I'll just be a slave. And the father says, no, 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 you're my child. And it said the father ran from far off to meet his son. That's the heart of our God. In verse 6, in 1 John 4, 6, it says, we are from God. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. For we, for this we know, the spirit of truth and the spirit, from this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. So he looks and he says, how do I know if it's from God? How do I know if it's, if it's not? And John says, well, if you're listening to scripture and you're listening to people who are truly walking in the scripture and walking in the spirit of truth from the scripture, then, then you can kind of discern whether it's the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception, not by what I, Matt, tell you, but by what scripture tells you. And not by my interpretation of scripture, but by you studying it yourself, digging into it and checking to see, is this true? And asking questions and, and, and pulling it apart. That's what John is saying here. And you know, the way cults happen is they, they don't do this. 
They encourage you just to listen to them, not to, to truly go to the spirit of God and the truth of God. And John is saying, look, you can know that we're in the spirit of God and the truth of God. And if you're not listening to us, and he's talking about the apostles who were anointed by Jesus, who were sent out by Jesus, who he's saying, if you won't listen to us, then it's evident that, that you don't know the spirit of truth because we're speaking from the truth, from the scriptures, from, from what God has told us to speak. And so either we're right and we're a spirit of deception or we're the spirit of truth. And you have to, to respond to that. You can't just sit there and be like, oh yeah, it's a spirit of truth. I don't want to do it. That's a scary proposition. And you can't just say, well, they have a spirit of deception and then not have a reason why you think that. You see, if we're going to, to, to do this, we have got to stop just living through things and really live in him, in the spirit of truth. We got to decide what we're listening to, what we're taking in. And it may mean we need to make some drastic changes to make sure that we're listening to people and things that have God's perspective as much as possible. Doesn't mean we can't learn from, from other things. It just means we have to filter everything through God and his word. In 1 John 4, 7, John says it again. He says, dear friends, he uses that term. Let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Let me repeat that. God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world. And here it is, so that we might live through him. We might have life through him, life eternal and life here through him. That was the whole point. John's laying out this case for sin. He's laying out these verses and saying there are false prophets, there are false deceptions, there are false spirits. There's, but let me tell you, dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. Now, now let me just tell you, we have to love God's way. And this is a huge issue today. The, the posters that you see that love is love, Love is not love. Love without boundaries is cruel. It's cruel. And we have to come to the place where we realize that everything that the Bible says about God and his response to mankind is loving. Let me say that again. Everything the Bible says about God and his response to mankind is loving. Every bit of it because God is is love. So when you look in the Old Testament, you see wrath and you see justice and you see things happening. God is still loving. He didn't stop doing love to be mean. It was his love that said, enough. I can't stand to see you guys treat one another this way. Stop it. And then he uses government. He uses sometimes his own people to say, I've got to put a stop to this. And we know this scripturally because Jesus said that someday he's going to come back and he's going to wage war against everything in the earth, annihilate it all, and he's going to start over. But the only reason he hasn't done that yet, the scriptures say, is because he desires that, that more people would not perish, but would come to know him. And so he's being patient, not because he's just being loving and lets us get by with stuff, but he's being patient so that we might see how awful the world we live in is without him that we desperately need him to be able to live through the, the life that we're living. And that's what he says here. He's like, 
love one another. Why? Because God is love. And can I just tell you, sometimes it's so hard because love, true love deals with the motives. And it's just so easy to deceive people to get something from them, to to want to extort something from them and and our false expectations instead of God's expectations. And love gets all twisted up. Can I just tell you, it's loving to tell someone hard things. It's loving to tell someone that God has a boundary. Don't cross it. And if you do, there are consequences. And he may have to use me to carry out those consequences. And I don't want to have to do that. I want you to live with me in love together. See, that's the message of Scripture. God wants us to live with him, but you and I and mankind, we keep saying, no, we'll live the way we want to live. Thank you very much. We have our own definition of love, and we don't think your definition of love is very good, which means we don't believe, God, that the way to love, the way to joy, the way to forgiveness, the way to freedom, we don't believe any of those things are in you. We can make those happen. We have a better idea about what love should be. That's our culture today. You see, we cannot have life without him. That is really exclusive, but it's the Bible. And you will, you will not live through other things. You will die through them. The Bible is clear that if you try to live through other things, you'll die through them. If your hope is to get out of this life alive, you're still going to die because we don't get out alive. And Jesus And the scriptures present that if we will die to our desires, if we'll die to our flesh and to ourselves, then he would come and live through us in a miraculous way. In verse 10, it goes on to talk about love. And it says, love consists in this, not that we loved God. In other words, we don't look to love God. We don't. Think about it. We don't look to love God. We look for God to give us stuff. We don't want a relationship with him. We just want his pocketbook. And if you're a parent, you feel this. You know how this feels. If you've ever been a kid, you know how you used your parents that way. You didn't truly love them. You wanted to get something from them so often because that's what our heart is. We don't love God. The only way we have a relationship with God is the second part. In verse 10, it says, 4.10, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word that means a covering. That he, that he covered us. He, he put the cover on us to love us, to say, your nakedness, your, your mess, I just, I just want to cover you. And really, when we cover someone with a white sheet in death, it's kind of the same thing, that, that he came and he got covered to be our death. And then he says in verse 11, dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. You see, he looks here and he says, no one has ever seen God because no one can stand in the presence of a holy God because we have sin. There's no way we can stand in that presence without being completely annihilated. That no one in their flesh has seen God. That it takes death to be able to stand before God one day. But we have seen the Son. We, we haven't seen God the Father, but we've seen God the Son, that Jesus came and he gave his life and he died. He paid the price that we deserved. He became the covering, the propitiation for our sin. Just like in the Old Testament, in the Ark of the Covenant was, was the, the Ten Commandments, and they put 
a, a lid on it. And then they put poured blood over the lid, sprinkled blood over the lid. It was a covering after covering over the sin of the people in the Holy of Holies. That, that was what was done to remind people that you need God to cover you, that he is holy and awesome and worth all of your life. But isn't it awesome that God provided a way for us to remain in him, not to be annihilated by being in his presence? And he provided that by showing us his love, by creating us when we didn't even know to be created. We didn't ask to be created. He gave us life and breath. He gave us his son. He gave us his word. God has given us so many things. And for us to not live through him and live through those things is such a spit in the face of God Almighty. And if we want to be perfected in love, if you want to be someone that knows how to love people perfectly, sometimes that means with hard love and truth and with soft love and grace, there's no way you're going to do this if you don't remain in him. Because the second you step out from under God's covering, you're no longer loving. You're now causing people to see you as God, to follow you instead of, hey, come get under the covers with me. Come, come be covered together by our God. First John 4.13, it says, this is how we know that we remain in him. So you say, okay, well, great. I, I've known Jesus. I, I know he's forgiven me and and I want to live through him. And I see that the spirit of God is the gift that he gave uh, to us to be able to do that. And the word of God was spoken by Christ and given by the spirit that, that allows us to, to live this out. So, so how do I know if I'm really remaining in him? He says, this is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us assurance to us from his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son as the world's savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, remember his name is loaded there. <laughs> Whoever confesses that Yahweh of the Old Testament is the only savior who sent the son to be our savior, who is Yahweh. He says, God remains in him and he is in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God. I love that. I love that he, he follows this up and he says that, that, that he, he gave us. And one of the words here that you see is that he gave us the assurance of his spirit. We, the theological term for that is that we are indwelt. The spirit dwells in us that when we come to know Jesus, when we surrender our life to him, that the spirit of God comes in like the promise of Ezekiel 36, 26, the spirit of God comes into our heart, fills us up and transforms us. It makes us different. It gives us, instead of a heart of stone that, that can't worship, we're just an idol, it gives us now a heart of flesh that's been softened to hear from God. And I love the fact that 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary? In other words, when you come to know God, no longer is the Spirit of God in the Holy of Holies, but the Spirit of God comes in supernaturally to indwell in us and that you are God's sanctuary, and that God's Spirit lives in you. If anyone destroys God's sanctuary, God will destroy him. For God's sanctuary is holy, and that is what you are. That is what you are. Listen, if you're doubting God right now, just know that you don't have to. You can just confess and have full confidence to know that God is with you, that if you know who Jesus is, according to this, what we just read in 1 John, that 
that you don't have another idol you're running to, that you need him. He says that, that you can know your mind. And then in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 3, 16, he said, or 3, he says, no one should deceive himself. Again, a spirit of deception. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he can become wise. In other words, if you think you can save yourself, if you think you can live this life through your understanding and what you know and what you can do, you need to become unwise. You need to become foolish. You need to become a fool for God so that he can bring his wisdom into your life. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Paul goes on. God has Paul write to us in that passage. Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God. In other words, you don't have it because of what you've done, you've done, but what he did. You are not your own. He says, look, if you understand what a relationship with Jesus is, you recognize that no longer are you your own independent thought thinker that gets to make decisions apart from his spirit, his word, and his body, the church. That's what you understand, that you're not your own. Are you still individual? Do you have an individual soul? Do you make individual decisions? Absolutely. But you yield that. You yield that to what God wants you to do, to let him live, to love him and love others through you. Then he goes on, he says, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. In other words, if you knew how priceless you were to God, if you knew that he gave his only son for you, wouldn't you want to like glorify God then in your body and be like, God, man, I, I want my body to, to give you credit for what you did because I couldn't do it. And this body's perishing, so I don't have a lot of time to give you credit to people who need to see it. So I want to do it as much as I can. Teach me from your word. Teach me your commands. Teach me how to do this. In 2 Timothy 1.13, it says, Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who lives in us, indwells us, that good thing entrusted to you. We've been entrusted with this ability to, to have life. He says, this you know, all those in Asia have turned away from me. All those in Asia have turned away from me. Paul's like, there are people that just won't endure. They, they follow the deception instead of being in Christ and, and believing that I'm, I'm speaking from him, from his word. And Paul's like, it just breaks me that they do that. In Romans 8, 12, it says, So then, brothers, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if you by, live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. If you're led by God's Spirit, which is the Spirit of truth that leads us to His Word and leads us to obedience to it, you are His sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption. Oh, to be adopted. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, we are also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeking that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, this quarantine, what we're going through are not worth comparing. Can't even compare it with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. I can't even compare, like what I understand about what God has done and what he's given me to live for him doesn't even compare to the problems and the mess that we're in. Doesn't mean I just pretend like there's not a mess. 
Not at all. We recognize there's suffering. We recognize there's problems. But when we start to compare those and we start to go to God and say, God, why do you not understand? And why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? See, what we're doing is we're comparing what we want to what to, to the character of God and what he says is true, which means our glory isn't yet. It's not going to come until the end. You see, it is a loving thing to crucify the flesh for the covering of others and the glory of God. Let me say that again. It is a loving thing to crucify the flesh, to kill the flesh for the covering of others and the glory of God. And that's exactly what God did in Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned and he sent them out, he killed some animals and he put coverings on them to protect them, to clothe them. And he sent them out and he said, one day I'm going to send a full covering, an ultimate covering. And you can trust me that I'm going to do it. And you can listen to me and you can obey me. But man, it's going to be hard now. It was easy. Now it's going to be difficult, but it's worth it. And I'm going to be there for you. And I'm going to bring life and I'm going to let this happen. But it's going to be for my glory, not yours. And while you were trying to go for glory in the garden, I'm going to banish you from it so you can't live for your glory. And then I'm going to ask you to live for my glory now so that I can cover you and so that others can see that the only way they can ever be covered in this life and have life is through me. And then God did it again when he covered us through the death of Jesus on the cross, that his blood and Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection are the confidence and the covering that we have to know that when God looks at us, he doesn't see the mess. He doesn't see the mess we're living through and, and, and belittle us. When he looks at us, if we know his son, he looks through and he sees the covering his son put on us. He sees the blood of his son that he gave. And when he sees that, he says, it's been paid. They're okay. And our response to that should be just to want to get out and just say, yes, that is, man, what a God. Because there's no other God that presents that. Galatians 5, as it comes to to living through him. This is what Galatians 5 says. It says, Christ has liberated us, verse 1, to be free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. What he's saying is, is, look, whatever was enslaving you, specifically in this passage, it was them trying to obey all the rules to get right with God. He says, look, Christ has liberated us to be free in him, to be free in his spirit, free in his word, to live for him. So stand firm in that. Don't go back to the old things and the old ways and the old flesh. And then in verse 13, he says, For you are called to be free, brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. Verse 16, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. In other words, the way to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit is is just to walk with him, to to love him, to know him, to be in the word, to ask the spirit to reveal. Then you won't have a desire for the things of the flesh. You'll have a desire for the things of God. But if you're just trying to fight the flesh and be like, well, I don't want to sin because then God will be mad. I don't want to hurt people. If that's where you're going to live, you're going to be done for. And he goes on and says in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what he means by practice there, we talked about this last last week, is kind of what we're talking about here. Those that live through these things, those that find life in these things, those that run to these things to feel good, to, to 
that, that these are the things that give them the energy and, and energize them and make them feel powerful, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Do we struggle with these things? Absolutely. But our job isn't to try not to do these things. Our job is to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why he says, verse 22 of Galatians 5, but the fruit, remember we talked about fruit before? You'll know them by their fruit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Listen, that's not how we define love or how we think it is love. It's God's love, which is both truthful, sometimes very disciplining, and both gracious and patient. And he says, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. In other words, if you walk in the Spirit, He's going to do all this, and you're not even going to be able to put laws on how much of it the Spirit does in you. There's, there's no rules to how much joy you can have. There's no rules to how much peace you can experience in your, in your heart. There's no rules as to how much patience you can have with, with uh, uh, your struggles. Like, like God wants us to, to know these things. And He says, look, there's, there's no law. He says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. And he says, look, I'm telling you, I know you don't want to be crucified, but you've got to crucify the flesh that keeps wanting to to, to call down angels from heaven, like when Jesus was on the cross and they said, call down angels if you really are who you say you are. Jesus could have just said, I'm done with these people and killed us all. And instead, he was willing to crucify his flesh and his momentary earthly human passion and desire so that he would live for the desire that he had agreed to back in the beginning when they created mankind. And isn't that what God asks of us? That we would be people that live lives like that? And instead of just going where we want and how we feel led, we'd say, what does God want? What does God promise? What is true about Him and my relationship with Him? And He says, look, you can know if you're living in the Spirit by your conceit, your provoking of one another, your envying of one another. If you're having conceit, if you're poking at each other, if you're envying someone else or you can know that you're probably not in the spirit. You're probably beginning to bring the flesh back up and what you want and what you feel. And he says, that's not how to live through me. But man, if you live through me, these are the fruits that you can experience. As I wrap up in 1 John 4, 17, it says, in this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. We're gonna talk about this next week. But it says, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment for we are his in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. See, Jesus came from heaven to earth to live through it all. He lived through humanity so that he could die, come back to life and say, now, can you trust me? Can you trust me that you can die to yourself? You can live this life and that I will give you a new life, not only now in your heart with my spirit and my word, but forever. Because I first loved you. See, what's our response to someone who first loved us? Wouldn't we want to live through them? Wouldn't we want to give our life to someone who, who loved us when, when we didn't care? See, that's our God. And let me ask you this morning, 
Do you want to live differently? Do you want to know that there's a God who wants to to know you and have a relationship with you and, and live through you? That he wants you to see and make your life count by living for him? If you do, you can just ask him. You can ask Jesus to come into your life. You can ask him for forgiveness. You can say, I recognize I'm not who you want me to be. I'm ready to crucify the flesh and I invite you to come in. And if you do that and you mean it and from your heart, Jesus says, I will come in and I will never leave you or forsake you. That You don't have to be afraid anymore. You can come to me and confess your sins because you don't have to be afraid I'm going to beat you. You can believe that I'll forgive you. It doesn't mean the consequences go away, but it means that it doesn't hurt the relationship. It strengthens it. For those of us who are believers, do we believe that about God? Are we willing to go to Him? Are we willing to give Him control and confess our sin to Him, knowing that what He says is true? Man, I I hope we are. Do we really know that He loves us? Do we really know that He wants to live through us? Do we really know that we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us and that we have the power of His Word at our disposal so that we might live through Him? Let's pray. Father, I pray that if anyone needs to make a decision today, you would lead them to do that. And that they'd reach out to someone, someone in our church, a believer that that they know isn't a deceiver, isn't a, a false prophet, but is a true follower of yours. I pray they reach out to someone and say, I made this commitment. I want to change. And they would get help. They would get help from your spirit, help from your word and help from the body of Christ. Father, we thank you for the decisions that are being made right now during this pandemic, that people are are wrestling with things they've never had to wrestle with, that they have to see the real flesh and the real spirit at work in the world. We give you praise. And Lord, thank you for this time of year that helps us to remember that you're coming again so that we might have confidence in the day of judgment and that we might be able to live through you until that day comes. We praise you in your name. Amen. If there's any way we can help, please check us out at fxchurch.com. Reach out to any of our staff. And please, if you've made a decision, don't just make that in private. Celebrate it. Talk to someone. Get some help. Love you. God loves you because he first loved us.